What's up, Conscious Monkeys? Welcome back to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness. I'm your host, Clayton Kuteri. And today we are joined by someone who used to be a self-proclaimed atheist who has moved on to now the spiritual realm. We're going to get into the afterlife. We're going to get into possibly aliens on this podcast. Uh, as we're starting out, the whole goal is to just let's get weird. And so on this episode, I'm getting weird with Jonas Rosin. And so Jonas, how are you doing? Doing great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. I'm glad uh, glad our paths were able to cross and we could sit down to get this thing happening. Yes, likewise. So let's start off. The place I usually start off with uh, new guests is try to figure out what was the first thing that Jonas wanted to be whenever he grew up? <laughs> well, when I was a young kid, I mean, my first my first dream was to be in the NBA. Okay. Love um, it. Yeah, I, I, I'm still working on that one. <laughs> uh, Don't let it die. No, <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, growing up, I was an athlete, really loved sports, but I uh, pretty quickly realized that that wasn't realistic. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, after the, the age of like seven, when I sort of let, laid that dream to rest, uh, you know, I was exploring a lot of, a lot of different things, um, over the, about 10 or 15 years ago, um, psychedelic assisted therapy really, really caught my attention. Um, well, I mean, I, I to be fair, it really started as my own sort of interest and curiosity in, in exploring plant medicines and, um, which stand even deeper from a, a curiosity to investigate the nature of reality, you know, to, to, uh, uh, learn more about the human condition to learn more about the nature of mind, the nature of consciousness, which uh, strikes me as arguably the, the greatest mystery in existence is ironically not out there somewhere in, in the universe, but within uh, here right now, uh, the, the, the space of awareness, um, which, you know, in spite of all of our scientific progress remains as, as one of the greatest mysteries, uh, the nature of consciousness. And, Psychedelics, you know, of course, are not the only tool for that inward exploration of consciousness, but they're one of the most ancient. They're one of the most powerful. They're one of the most universal from all over the world. And and certainly for me, it was a key to unlocking an ent entirely new perspective. And right around that that same time that I started exploring psychedelics for myself, uh, you know, I very quickly realized that the uh, profound therapeutic implications and efficacy of this thing and um, uh, started to really dive deep down that rabbit hole and uh, you know, just absorb as much learning as I could about the the research that's being done at, at Johns Hopkins, Imperial College of London, NYU, and other prestigious uh, institutions around the world. And um, yeah, that led me to the work I do today, which is a psychedelic uh, facilitator or practitioner. So let's let's start off with kind of what it was like at the beginning with your whole psychedelic uh, experience. Did you, what was kind of like, let's say your first uh, introduction to plant medicine, to psychedelics, what was like the home life like? Uh, did you, were you, did you grow up in like a strict household where your parents like, you know, okay with it? What was the whole intro to psychedelics? Yeah. Well, I mean, growing up, I actually had a lot of, a lot of fear, uh, and, and apprehension of, of psychedelics and, and really all substances in, in, in general. I mean, these are ideas that are kind of conditioned into us from a very young age that, um, you know, uh, any, any 
psychedelic substance is is a danger to our to our mind to our wellness to our sanity and so you know like i i really carried those those um you know sort of program beliefs for for quite some time um when i first encountered psychedelics it was uh, my my first experience was with psilocybin mushrooms i was in college and i, I really didn't seek it out my friend had some and sort of offered and and i have always been a really just curious individual driven by curiosity in a, in a lot of aspects of my life and uh yeah uh so i i gave it a shot and yeah I'm, I'm happy to share a little bit about that first experience i was i was in nashville where i went to college at the time and um well he, took real a, quick uh, let me yeah. let me let me i, I want to hear it uh, but let's like set the no, stage no, a let's set the stage a little bit more um so if you were a self-proclaimed atheist, would this have been before or after this psychedelic experience? That was, that was before. Um, so that first experience didn't instantly change everything, but it, it precipitated a shift. Um, it, 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 uh, put a crack in that, in that, uh, sort of like hardened shell of, of atheism and opened my mind to the reality that everything is a mystery and i don't know and <laughs> that's a great place uh, to that, start that opened the doorway for a deeper exploration so if we roll back it a little bit more i i'm not very well versed in what an atheist is my general idea is that they just don't believe in god are you able to expand what your your definition of an atheist would be or like the way you kind of saw the world let's say when you identified as an atheist sure that's a good question yeah so i mean it was definitely i mean i think it 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 overlaps a lot with sort of a a materialist conception of of life in the cosmos where um um and certainly a scientific and rational one as well. I've, I've always been like a very scientifically oriented individual and sort of as an atheist, my perspective was uh, not only is there no evidence for God, uh, this was my perspective at the, at the time. Sure. Um, but uh, it's, 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 it's a fantasy. It's, 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 it's false. And, and that the idea that there is some aspect of, of divinity uh, my, my understanding was that uh, science can and will explain everything, all of the mysteries of, of life in the universe in due time, and that my uh, entire experience of, of life and consciousness was explicable through a purely mechanistic, materialistic uh, understanding, meaning that uh, there's no room for soul or any kind of spiritual essence. Uh, my experience of consciousness itself is sort of the uh, byproduct and emer an emergent property or epiphenomenon of the complex interaction of neurons in the brain. Um, and there's nothing more to what I am than this physical uh, body. And uh, yeah, so so that's that's how I that's how I, I saw life in the cosmos, um, that there's there is there is no divine essence to life or to what I what self what i am what we are so and maybe you answered it i got a little bit of lag there but did you kind of just see it all as random then or that nothing was connected or like how did you kind of view the world in in the sense of well like how are we able to have this like future and past whereas 
everything else seems to be reactionary, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess I did see everything as as random and yet uh, oriented and uh, operating in in accordance with the the natural laws of 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 the cosmos of like the material world, I guess, in that sense. Right. And so, okay. So if we, if we kind of couple this right with, uh, wanting to be a basketball player, um, and you said like around the age of, I think you said like seven or eight, you kind of thought, um, well, maybe it's not for me. Um, where, where in your mind were you like when you went to college, did you have an idea of what you wanted to be, where you wanted to go in the material world? Yeah. Um, you know, like, no, I didn't. (laughs) I mean, for, for, for a long time, I didn't. And that was a really hard place to be actually was to sort of, um, I think this is one of the most challenging, uh, you know, aspects of, of the human condition is this quest for meaning and purpose. And, you know, uh, ideally that aligns with our, our occupation or, or our work or our vocation, but it not always. Right. And so like, what I, what I began to sense as I was going through college was more and more, there was like, uh, you know, I was exploring some interesting and, and, and cool ideas. I was starting to meditate a lot. I was, I was just starting to, um, you know, explore sort of uh, wisdom traditions uh, out of the East, Buddhism and Taoism and, 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 and things like that. And, um, uh, but I didn't see a clear, like, uh, occupational box to, to, to fit that in. And, and even, you know, as this, uh, passion, uh, and, and profound excitement around, around the psychedelic, the field of psychedelics started to emerge, even it, it almost like heightened the challenge because it's illegal here in the U S. And so, I, you know, in my mind, there was no opportunities to do this work. So it was kind of like this crisis of, of meaning and purpose that, you know, was, yeah, probably the greatest challenge that I I've had to navigate thus far in the, in this, in this lifetime. But, uh, you know, I was moving in the, in, in the direction of how can I be of service? Um, how can I, how can I help others? Because it struck me pretty early on that that was, uh, you know, if I'm not going to be in the NBA, like this is one of the places that genuinely feels meaningful and enriching and, and, and valuable to the world. Uh, it's just to be of service to others. And, I was drawn to 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 healing, to uh, psychotherapy, and was um, you know kind of building in the direction of uh, becoming a talk therapist. Uh, as as in my mind, that was a building block towards eventually getting deep, more deeply involved in in the field of psychedelic assisted therapy. And so, whenever you were in college, then were you like a psych major, or what was your direction that you felt? Because you you mentioned that your first uh, experience with psychedelics was in college. So, you know, what, what were you going for, I guess, when you went to college or what was the idea there? Yeah, I actually, I actually started as an economics major, um, really for the the only reason that that's what all the cool kids were doing. (laughs) And, and that's what, uh, you know, that was the route into the most lucrative jobs, consulting, banking, finance, all that stuff, which, you know, I, I knew, I knew, I knew very quickly that I didn't want to do that, but it was like, okay, if not that, then what? Um, and it was right around the time that I had that first psilocybin experience, which was when I was a freshman in college, that it was a, a, a shift in uh, a reprioritization of, of values, I would say, a shift in my value hierarchy and away from just just like making lots of money to doing things that are, are meaningful and important and, and fulfilling. And 
uh, I ended up uh, sort of defaulting to um, sociology uh, just because it seemed like that would still give me, um, you know, freedom and space to explore, um, you know, sort of interdisciplinary, a broad, a broad range of, of different issues as I continue to hone my, my, my interests and passions. And so- sociology, that's the study of like groups of people like the, right. Okay. And how far did you, did you may try to make that like a minor or was that kind of like just the, uh, a side study that you were interested in? That's what I majored in. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's what I majored in coming out of, out of, out of, out of college. Oh, so you switched um, then from economics to sociology? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Like pretty much, pretty much right after that first psilocybin <laughs> experience, I was like, nah, never mind. That was your first <laughs> not, like awakening no. moment. You were like, oh, I need to be somewhere else. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a significant, um, aspect of that, of that experience was exploring, um, you know, all the, all the anxiety that I had around like this, this sort of crisis of meaning and like, where am I going in this lifetime? Well, tell us, you know? tell us about that. Cause you were about to start telling us and I kind of cut you off, but if you could, could you tell us about that first experience? Sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to. Um, yeah. So I was a freshman in college. I was going to school in Nashville um, uh, one of my friends had some, some mushrooms and, and offered me to join and, and, um, I decided to, to go for it. Um, uh, and we, we went to a sort of a nearby park in Nashville and, um, you know, I remember we, I remember sitting down in, in, in the grass and just kind of laying down and, and, um, it was a really special experience for, for a lot of reasons. Well, first I, I, I noticed myself, uh, to be profoundly present, you know, uh, uh, just, just in my, in my, in my body, not lost in, in thought. I noticed pretty quickly that, um, you know, as there was more of that inner stillness and, and less kind of like lost in, in, in the mind and in, in thought, uh, there was a very peaceful quality to it. It was like, all of this anxiety that I had, you know, it wasn't always a high level of anxiety, but there was like this constant low level background noise of anxiety, just as I was trying to work through, um, uh, you know, what am I doing in the, in this lifetime? And, um, so that, that was remarkable, but as the effects, you know, kicked in even, even more strongly, I remember just looking around at, uh, you know, the seemingly mundane details of life, like, uh, the insects flying overhead, you know, I was like seeing these tracers behind, behind the insects, the trees swaying in the wind, the clouds passing overhead and, and the grass. I was like captivated by the grass. I was like, is anyone else seeing this grass? Cause it's really beautiful, you know? Um, and, <laughs> uh, you know, what, what, what struck me was that, um, I, 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 I would, I would, I've come to regard this as like kind of my first encounter with the sacred, you know? Um, and what I, what I mean by that is like in that moment, as, as I was sitting there and just observing all the, all these details uh, and, and seeing like the, the intricacy, the, the, the beauty, the complexity, and yet the elegance of like all these like seemingly, you know, simple things. Um, it was like, there was this, 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 this almost uh, there was this miraculous or, or magical quality that, you know, I really hadn't noticed prior, prior to that. And it was like this, 
this feeling of awe. I was just overwhelmed by, by awe. And I, it, it was, it was kind of like an experience of awe therapy, you know, where, uh, that, that feeling that you get when you're, you're out in a, a beautiful place out in nature or in a, in a sacred space, like a, 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 a temple or, or, or cathedral or something. And, and, and it's just like, whoa, you know, it's almost like this, this cognitive, like, uh, reframing of, of everything. Um, and, uh, it's kind of like that feeling if you are like ever staring at the stars and like, you know, you see every star in the sky or if you like walk into a cathedral in Eastern Europe and you just are like almost overwhelmed with the, the magnitude, but sheer detail at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. And, and everything just appeared uh, miraculous and, and beautiful and, and, and exquisite in, in a way that like really like, captivated my my attention and and i also you know remember at a certain point in that experience feeling my my own heart beating and uh (laughs) such a simple thing but uh felt enormously profound in that moment i was just just so present and and it, it was like one of those flow states where you're just effortlessly absorbed like completely absorbed um in in life as it is and feeling my heart beat and and it w- it was almost funny to me you know like i'm i'm sitting here i'm doing absolutely nothing to try to make my heart beat it's just happening and uh with that that you know all of this kind of uh this flowing experience it was like uh feeling like there is this uh this this exquisite dance this this miraculous unfolding, which somehow from the big bang, you know, like 13.8, whatever billion years ago to this very moment, uh, life has somehow of its own accord spontaneously unfolded into this like, uh, seemingly random, but also, uh, uh, infinitely beautiful and organized and, and, and patterned, um, uh, uh, dance this this symphony of of life, you know, and so you know all all of that kind of happening together. I mean, it was it was really a, a beautiful experience. Um, all of that happening together again. It wasn't like an instant shift. Okay, I'm no longer an atheist, but it was like, um, you know, there 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 is a a a a, a miraculous or, or 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 you know a sacred a sacred quality to to everything, every iota of existence that, uh, I had, uh, previously not, um, uh, fully recognized and had, had overlooked and, um, found it very, very difficult to, to explain, explain from a purely materialistic or or mechanistic world worldview. And so whenever you felt that, that shift a little bit, right? Like, did you, did you feel like it was a piece that you needed to somehow integrate into your current kind of belief system of atheism? Because, and I asked this because like the way I kind of have been viewing, I guess, consciousness, it's like, you know, something occurs, let's say that's just slightly off from what you believe, but something feels right about it. And so it takes like, almost time to integrate it into your current realm of belief. Right. So, you know, if, if you take that from an atheistic point of view and then it's like, okay, you just had this 
all you were looking at grass you were looking at bugs and had this like otherworldly experience of sorts did it do you remember like what that integration process felt like 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 was there something in your previous line of thinking that you were like oh i need to update this or how does this fit into that puzzle of being an atheist yeah that's a a really good question i mean you know this was about 10 years ago. So, um, there were, there was, there was a lot that, that happened. And I, you know, I think in, in, in a lot of ways, integration continues till, till the day we die, as long, as long as we live, I, you know, part of, part of it was that, you know, talking about, uh, about beliefs and, and our, our, our sort of core beliefs and, and system of, of beliefs that then, uh, uh, determine in, in a, in a large way, how we experience and perceive the world. Um, in my previous, uh, you know, frame of, of understanding beliefs actually really had no, no relevance or no place because I, you know, in, in, in the quest for truth, what, what, to, what, what value does a, a belief offer, offer to me? But in that experience, I, I recognized, uh, you know, I guess atheism in itself is a belief. There's no proof whatsoever of, 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 uh, there being no divinity. That's right. an unprovable uh, assertion. So I think it, it, it moved me more towards agnosticism where it was like, I'm now open to possibilities because I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and, and uh, one of the, one of the really amazing things about, uh, you know, the psychedelic experience is that it, it um, and this has been demonstrated in, in, in sort of the, the scientific research um brain scans of people while they're under the influence of psilocybin and other psychedelic compounds, it, it uh, these psychedelics have the uh, capacity to uh, shut down what's called the default mode network in, in the brain, which is basically, um, you know, my understanding of it is it, it's essentially our, the scientific jargon for our conditioned way of uh, our default mode, our conditioned way of seeing and experiencing and perceiving the world. Uh, in in the psychedelic space, it has this amazing capacity to essentially uh, shut that part of the brain off or turn down the volume on that. So there's more lateral thinking. There's actually more, uh, you know, interconnection, in, interconnection and, and communication between different parts of the brain. Um, and it's it's almost like seeing the world with fresh eyes. You know, it's almost like uh, just being born into the moment. If you strip away all of your, you know, past conditioning. My name is Jonas and I have these beliefs and I'm this kind of person and the world is this kind of way. Uh, imagine like just being born into the moment and seeing everything as it is, as it is without any filters, without any judgment, without any labels, without any analysis. This is a really, really interesting experience because I mean, how could it not all appear as uh, mysterious and miraculous from, from that vantage point? Uh, the mind is so constantly trying to uh, assess and, and, and judge and understand and conceptualize and label everything. I mean, this is an evolutionary mechanism. It's important. It's mm -hmm. important to have that ability. You see a car crossing the street. You're like, car, don't hit it, <laughs> you know, avoid, um, yeah, avoid. Uh, but you know, it it, it is it, it's it can also operate as as a as a invisible prison where we are uh, without even 
recognizing the limitations that we impose upon ourselves in our way of perceiving the world, um, it, it, it confines us. It, it limits our, our, our understanding. And so this was interesting that uh, to realize after that experience that as hard as I was trying to be scientific and rational and objective, uh, that itself was a form of dogmatism. Right. I, I think that's a beautiful... Um, there's a couple of things here. Number one, I think it's a beautiful like kind of thing to point out of how you're saying like atheism is about not believing, and yet to hold the idea of atheism is almost a belief within itself. It's the belief of not believing, which I you know is pretty fascinating. Right. And maybe if you have friends and you're listening, don't point that out to an atheist because you might not have a friend afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the analogy or the metaphor that I always, that I, that it sounds like you're describing is it's almost like, you know, our, you call it the default, um, the default neural system, default mode network, the default mode yeah. network is almost like, you know, if you, if you drive to work every day, you have this certain path that you're always going down. You always make a right on I-279. You always get off at exit 19. You then make a left. And it's like, you fit everything into that mode of being or that idea. And then once you have this profound experience, it's almost like you get lifted up out of the car and you're like, wait, you can go all these different directions or you don't even have to take a car. You can walk through the woods here or you could get on a plane and go here or you could go all the way over to this city and then come back. And it like really expands your mind to seeing how many different paths there are that is beyond your everyday comprehension. Exactly. Yeah, that's a, a perfect analogy for it. Yeah. And so you feel like that was kind of the the seed that got like kind of planted in there whenever you started on unra unraveling this uh, whole atheistic mindset, I guess, that you kind of were going through. Yeah, well, I mean, that experience like instantaneously, uh, uh, you know, prompted a profound fascination in uh psychedelics uh, more generally and in a continued exploration of uh, the human condition and, and the nature of consciousness and the nature of reality. Um, and I mean, it was just absolutely astonishing to me that a, a few grams of a dried mushroom uh, facilitated this unbelievable transformation in, in my, in my uh, consciousness and almost a caused me to feel that, you know, I was tapping into, uh, and, and, uh, a more fuller experience of the capacities of my brain, you know, yeah. and it, it just like, it just made me so curious and interested to continue exploring. I mean, around that same time, even prior to that experience, I think part of why I had such a profound experience there was because I had already been exploring meditation quite a bit. And so like, I think that, um, in order to really, I see this all the time in my work as a, as a psychedelic facilitator that like uh, people who bring some aspect of meditation, mindfulness, inner stillness, uh, the ability to be centered and uh, observe life in a non-judgmental way to sort of surrender into presence, to let go of any sort of resistance um, and, and flow. Uh, uh, this is, this is the key to getting the most to reaping the most rewards from the psychedelic experience is the combination of meditation with psychedelics. And so I, I had that going on. 
Uh, I was also starting to explore, as I mentioned, some some different uh, wisdom traditions and, and you know, um, yeah, I just I sort of dove into uh, uh, exploring, um, you know, different spiritual teachings. So like Eckhart Tolle was was the, the power of now was really Excellent influential. Book. Yeah. 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 It was really influential for me. Um, and, and from that point, you know, I just started exploring more and more and more, uh, you know, Ram Das. Uh, Muji, Sadhguru, Thich Nhat Hanh, Adyashanti, all, all, all these, all these different teachers. And it, it almost became like, I just wanted to absorb more and more and more information as a key part of, of my, my integration, you know, of, of, of continuing to cultivate wisdom, um, and, and a sense of, of, of inner, inner peace. Um, and so, so uh, how did that kind of like unfold, right? If we're looking at the timeline of events, how did it go from, so it was atheist, you took the, the gram and then you're like, whoa, what's going on here? You then kind of shifted your major to sociology. Did, was it like in this same, was this like a, a couple weeks, a couple months? And then you started diving in into all these spiritual teachers. Uh, how did, how did the kind of the timeline look like with all that? Yeah, it was, it was within a couple it, it happened pretty quickly. Um, uh, from that point, it was within a, within a couple of weeks, um, matter, matter of a, a couple of months. Uh, I mean, for years after that, and it, and it continues like exploring, exploring different, uh, uh, spiritual teachings and, and just absorbing different approaches from, from, from different, different, uh, uh, teachers, um, and, and seeing, uh, trying to assess again in, in a non dogmatic way, uh, in a non really non-religious kind of way, um, uh, what resonates, what, what, what holds true, what rings true for me. And, um, uh, yeah, so, so all that was happening. I mean, uh, really the, the, the major shift, uh, occurred a few months later after that, as I was continuing to explore psychedelics that I then learned about DMT and, and dimethyltryptamine, which is known as the spirit molecule, um, you know, for anyone who doesn't, who isn't familiar with the, this substance, it's it's one of the arguably the single most powerful psychedelic compound on the planet. Uh, it's it's the psychoactive compound in ayahuasca, which is this ancient shamanic brew that's been used for thousands of years in in the, in the Amazon rainforest by indigenous people. And uh, you know, interestingly enough, I mean, DMT is just such a fascinating topic. I've, I've made numerous videos on it and I could, I could really talk for days about this stuff because it is what really, really facilitated this shift uh, away from, you know, I moved from atheism to agnosticism. And then what really propelled me uh, from agnosticism into this belief, this, this, what I would say is an inner knowing of divinity was, was my exploration of, of DMT, the spirit molecule. So so um, let's let's definitely yeah. talk about that. Um, something I find interesting is how you went from shrooms, which I would consider, let's say, like a, a soft psychedelic, and then you, within a few months, went to the what I would consider one of the hardest psychedelics. And hard when I say hardest, uh, you know, kind of like you're talking about, it's the most, I guess, explosive. It's the most Intense. connected to consciousness that we kind of have. Um, so how did you decide within a couple of months, you were like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready for the, the full trip. Well, I didn't, I didn't immediately, uh, ingest DMT my, myself within a few months. Okay. So I, I learned of, I, I, as I was exploring the field of, 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 psychedelics and just absorbing information, stumbled across this thing and 
spent really the next year of my life, like pretty obsessively fascinated by it and, and learning everything I could before I, before I tried it myself, that day did come eventually, but that was a while, a while later. Um, there's a, there's a book called, uh, DMT, the spirit molecule. Um, it was actually, it was also, uh, turned into a documentary where Joe, Joe Rogan is, is narrating. Um, no way. and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called DMT, the spirit molecule. Check it's, it out. it's worth looking up. I'm yeah, yeah, definitely check it out. I mean, the book is just fascinating. It's, it's written by this guy, Dr. Rick Strassman, who I, I actually have interviewed him on, on my YouTube channel. Um, and Dr. Strassman, he's a psychiatrist at uh, university of New Mexico in 1991. He was the first person to do human psychedelic research in the United States legally after that whole like 20 or 30 year, like, uh, right. hiatus, um, uh, government, you know, smackdown there. Uh, he was the first person to do human psychedelic research in the United States in, in 91 at the University of New Mexico. And it was with uh, N-N-dimethyltryptamine. And um, over the span of five years, he uh, administered around 400 doses of DMT intravenously to around 60 different research participants and, and uh, published multiple, uh, you know, uh, scientific uh, research articles about it. Um, and also, you know, turned, uh, wrote about his findings and, and that, that, that work in this book, DMT, the spirit molecule. So it's not just some, you know, purely theoretical thing. It's actually like, this is based on real world research that happened where, uh, you know, people were having these truly incredible beyond words experiences of, um, you know, uh, of, of profound shifts, profound shifts in consciousness that, that, um, you know, we can get into, uh, the DMT experience. If, 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 if you want to explore that, um, of, of subjectively, it feels like an out of body experience, uh, where sort of the last layer of our humanity is stripped away. It feels like consciousness or awareness or soul or spirit, if you want to call it that, uh, leaves the body temporarily. Um, Terrence McKenna, the famous, uh, famous psychonaut, uh, described it as a 100% reality switch. Um, in, in the sense that one moment you're sitting on your couch, uh, a few moments later, you're in another place, uh, that feels like, uh, some sort of alternate realm or dimension or plane of existence beyond the physical universe outside of space and time. Um, and in that sense is, is really, really just a profound look into the nature of reality, the nature of, of, of the brain and mind and consciousness. Um, that, that is what really, really, uh, convinced me of, of the reality that there is more to kind to of explore mystery. more. Yeah. There's more to this mystery than what, what meets the eye. And so then what, I guess, uh, so for me, I've kind of meddled with DMT, but I, uh, never, what is it called? Like breaking through. I never like broke through. I saw the, uh, stained glass window, but never like broke mm -hmm. through, I think is kind of the analogy they use. Right. So, so to kind of, I'll give you my partial experience and then I'd love to hear yours in conjunction is where you know, I kind of tried a little bit of it. I, I didn't do enough, I guess. And you kind of hear like this ringing, right? And then there's a stained, yeah. a, a quote unquote stained glass window. For me, it was 
a little grayish, but it had the characteristics of a stained glass window. And you could feel like lighter almost is the best way to describe it. Uh, now, how does that, I, I'm assuming it kind of like faded away. And so from what I've heard is you can actually kind of, let's say, break through that stained glass window. And on the other side is this realm of infinite time. And, you know, the it's like the time space reality that, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about essentially in his work. Uh, what do you, and I remember, and I'm kind of just throwing all this at you, but I also kind of remember people have talked about it being difficult to, to remember what they've kind of gone through with on their experiences. Did you find it like, what did you experience? And did you kind of find it difficult to remember things on your um, experience or your trip? Yeah. Uh, well, absolutely. It can be, it can be very difficult to remember. I mean, in some cases it, it does feel like how, when you wake up after having a dream, it's like, you can remember like a little bits and pieces of it, but it, it fades away really quickly. And then it's hard to consciously recall. Um, you know, part of it, I, I, I kind of describe it as like trying to, <laughs> if you have a hard drive that has like one gigabyte of space and you try to like cram one terabyte of information onto that hard drive, that hard drive being like the physical brain, it don't work. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't, uh, uh, because it's, um, you know, I, not only would I, I describe it as, I would almost describe it as timeless. I would describe like space and time as properties of physicality of the physical universe. And what, what, what the potential is here with this experience is, uh, subjectively, um, transcending physicality altogether and encountering non-physical or immaterial or energetic or astral or whatever you want to call it, uh, planes of existence that coexist with this one, but are invisible to our phys physical senses. Um, and, you know, so it, it, it sort of suggests like uh, multiverse theory or, or the idea of multidimensionality or interdimensionality, the idea that, uh, you know, as vast and infinite as this physical universe is, it's only the tiniest tip of the iceberg. There is so much more right. to the mystery of life than what meets the eye. And there, basically, I mean, there's, there's other layers, other realms, other dimensions of existence, which are, which coexist with this, which can intersect and interact with this physical material realm, but are outside of our ordinary perception. However, consciousness on that consciousness level is the level on which I, I now am convinced uh, we're actually interconnected and plugged into all these other aspects of reality because consciousness itself, as I now see it, is is non-local, meaning it's not it's beyond the physical brain. It's not just some uh, it exists independently of and, and beyond uh, it transcends physicality. It's, it's like a fundamental property or, or aspect or quality of, of, uh, of reality itself. Um, and so does yeah. that kind of, whenever you're kind of talking there, it's like, it, does that kind of tie into, um, I know you did a lot of videos on like the afterlife and near death experiences. And it sounds like a lot of doctors based on the videos you uploaded are, um, People who, let's say doctors who have studied people with near death experiences, they're pretty convinced that there's an afterlife due to the fact that the brain shuts down due to the fact that there's no pulse. Do you kind of view it um, in conjunction with that same, let's say, plane of existence as you do, as you experience with DMT? 
That's a great question. Um, yes and no. Um, in, in the sense that I don't believe that all DMT experiences are necessarily like a, a genuine glimpse into whatever sort of afterlife or, or beyond. Uh, I'm not saying that all DMT experiences are, are true or factually or empirically objectively true, but I think that some of them can be. I think it can open those doors of perception. Um, and what's really interesting is that, yeah, so near-death experiences is, is a fascinating body, uh, a significant body of uh, scientific research and evidence that presents extremely compelling evidence of the continuation of consciousness beyond the functioning of our physical body. Uh, extremely compelling evidence, and, and I can give you some examples of that, but what's, what's super interesting is that, um, you know, research has actually found, and there, there's a, a, a published, there are published articles on this. I've actually made a video on this topic comparing uh, near-death and, and uh, DMT experiences, and actually there are some really fascinating parallels between these two experiences. For example, I mean, in both cases, uh, uh, DMT and near-death experiences, there's a broad range of different types of experiences. I'm not saying they're the same, but they share some really interesting characteristics. For example, uh, both of the experiences begin with a sense of consciousness or awareness separating from the physical body, moving through some sort of a tunnel or a portal towards a light, into the light, going, you know, breaking through or emerging on the other side in some sort of a non-physical uh, realm of existence, encountering beings or entities there, um, and gaining new insights and glimpses into the, the nature of reality, uh, profound, uh, uh, these are felt to be profoundly sacred experiences, um, they're felt to be real. This is another interesting aspect of both of these experiences is that almost every single person will return from these experiences saying, I have no idea what the just happened, but it felt even more real than this reality. Then returning back into the body. And so, you know, all of these characteristics are the same between these two experiences. So it's interesting. I mean, in that book, DMT, the spirit molecule, uh, Rick Strassman actually talks about this and he, he um, there has been specula speculation or, or uh, uh, you know, theories put forth that uh, the endogenous release of DMT, which I hadn't mentioned yet, this is another fascinating mystery of the DMT experience is that we all have this powerful psychedelic compound within our systems right now. Every single mammalian species that's been tested has been found to endogenously or naturally produce DMT. Not only that, but thousands of different plant and animal species, thousands of different species all over the world naturally produce DMT. Common grass has trace amounts of DMT in it. This is a complete mystery. We have no idea evolutionarily why have we evolved to naturally produce this the, the most powerful psychedelic compound on the planet. Why? And physiologically, what role does it play in our system? These are these are massive unanswered questions, right? So, but people have theorized or speculated that the near-death experience could be explained by the endogenous release of DMT in the body around the time of death. Right, because that's something that they certainly, I, at least from my memory of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that when you do die, 
the there is an, a, a large amount of DMT that floods the brain. Is that accurate? The evidence in, uh, is is a li- is there's there needs to be more research here. The the evidence thus far it does suggest okay. that to be true, and this is commonly shared as as a fact. I believe it is true, but it's you know the it's it's kind of it's kind of inconclusive. I mean, people do uh, it, there there is sort of preliminary evidence to support that conclusion, as well as that there's also a endogenous release of DMT around the time of. Uh, while the while the fetus is in is is being is is uh, uh, growing in, in, in utero, um, which you know has led other people to speculate like is this uh, you know the spirit molecule that is basically the biological basis the biological the molecular or chemical basis that facilitates the entering and exiting of the soul or spiritual essence. Uh, out of out of, into and out of uh, the physical form. It almost sounds like I don't know. I'm not saying that is true, but uh, you know, it 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 could be. Who knows? But that's also a, a fascinating thing to find to find anything, right? Whether or not it's DMT or something else. But for there to be something so powerful that it's it's with us at birth and then carries us carries us into death as well. I, I mean, I feel like anything that is kind of conjoining those two elements right is something that we should definitely take pretty seriously or at least something that should be deeper investigated just due to the nature of you know the idea that death even as a sense is sort of an illusion right we we try to conceptualize that death and life are the opposite whereas it's really birth and death that are the opposite and life is just the medium that's in some sense continuously going yeah, correct. I I, I I see it the same way. And, you know, I 100,000% agree that this is a massive mystery that could have profound, profound revolutionary implications into our scientific understanding of the nature of reality and the nature of consciousness, some of life's greatest mysteries. Um, and uh, it needs, it demands investigation. It demands investigation and not many people are, are talking about it. And, uh, you know, that's a big part of the reason why I've made the YouTube channel and and, ta- and make make videos discussing this subject. I love it because that's like a huge reason that I'm here as well. And I, again, it's probably one of those things of that same path. But something that you kind of briefly discussed was uh, like the idea of reality, right? The idea of people have these psychedelic trips or these journeys and they see it as being more real than, uh, you know, the physical reality that they have lived in for who knows how many years, 20, 30, 40, 50. And something that it was reminding me of, and maybe this was something that kind of shifted me, is there's a documentary on Netflix called uh, Life in Color. And it goes through all these different animal species and it shows you kind of the way that they view the world around them, you know, where, mm. where deers are essentially like red, green, colorblind or red, green, colorblind, I believe. And so it's like, you know, we say to ourselves, like, why would a tiger be, you know, this orange colored creature in the prairie? It's like, that would be the most alarming color for them to be. Well, meanwhile, their prey can't see it worth shit because it's just blending in with grass from the, their viewpoint. 
Uh, there's butterflies that if we look at them, they look like they're just brown and black and kind of ugly. But if they look at them through like a UV light, they are like these most mosaic mm. and beautiful colored creatures on our planet. Mm. And so yeah. it really like takes you back and it's like, well, we're only viewing things through the red, green, blue color spectrum. Whereas, you know, some see, some animals see less, some see more. And so even that kind of was like breaking my own understanding of like, well, you know, what, what actually is going on here? Like, what if we could actually see like the Wi-Fi signals that are going throughout our house? You know, you would be seeing lines kind of just flickering everywhere. And it's, and it's really crazy that that evolution has kind of formed in that way. Yeah, let me, that's such a good point. And let, let me riff on that for a second. Cause I mean, this is something I, I've, I've, I've thought about, I've thought about often. I mean, we have these, uh, you know, five main sense perceptions, right? And each one of them is, is, is limited. I mean, within, um, you know, uh, visible light to our human eyes is less than 1% of the electromagnetic spectrum. So, you know, like you said, we can't see Wi-Fi signals. We can't see infrared, ultraviolet, x-rays, and yet they're, they're all real, right? Likewise, we can only hear within certain frequencies. We can only feel and taste and touch mm -hmm. and think within a range of experience. So it's like our entire experience of reality is like we're watching one TV station on a, on a, on a set that has infinite, uh, other, other potential stations. And we're basing our, we're, we're, you know, materialist science is saying that we understand the whole thing based on these, you know, you know, limited sense perceptions. Of course, we can build tools and technologies to expand those, those perceptions. Like we use a telescope to peer more deeply into, into the sky, into the cosmos, uh, I very much understand DMT and these other psychedelics as uh, the equivalent of a telescope inwardly into our mind, into our inner world. And so this is a shift in a, a, a framework or perspective of thinking that, um, you know, these experiences are all just chemically induced hallucinations in the brain. Well, maybe, but what if it's, what if it could be more than that? Maybe these, these are, these are like a, these are tools that facilitate a deeper or more profound or more subtle experience, a true glimpse into the nature of reality that's beyond our ordinary, you know, our ordinary sense perception and ordinary uh, reality. And, and, Dennis McKenna, who's the brother of, of Terrence McKenna, has this quote where he's like, all of life is a drug experience. Every single waking <laughs> moment is a chemically mediated process, right? right? And so who is to say that this set of neurochemical conditions is more real or more valid or more true than this other set where, yes, now you're on DMT or psilocybin, and yet you're having these experiences that feel even more real than this moment. Uh, so who is to say that this is more valid or more true than that? I mean, for me, that doesn't equate, right? That, that, that it's, it's, it's a, a fallacy. It's a, it's a logical error there, but this is our, you know, mainstream science, our entire, uh, the entire field of, of mainstream or materialist science is basing their study and examination of psychedelics in the, in the mind and consciousness on this materialist, materialist paradigm that all of these experiences 
are nothing more than hallucinations in the brain. Uh, it's it's like the whole you know atheism is is actually a belief yeah, right. uh, idea. This as well is an unprovable assertion, and yet it's 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 taught to us as 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 fact. Um, you know, so I really I really take issue with that, and I think again I'm not saying that every single DMT experience is a real glimpse into the nature of reality. All these DMT entities and and, and stuff are objectively real. I'm saying they could be. In some cases, and it definitely, it definitely feels that way. Well, even if we take a step back and look at dreams, for instance, like you go to sleep, you have a dream and you use this as a parallel earlier, and this could be a gateway for anyone who's never dabbled with psychedelics, right? You wake up from a dream in a state, let's say if it's a nightmare, in a state of fear and anxiety and, you know, you're frightened and you're agitated and you know you can and kids even they 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 see it as being so real right like like that happened like this monster with claws and fangs came after me and you know under my bed and is chasing me it's like so right. at some level that's real right like even even if we can't explain it with this material world this material subset of instruments and tools we have we have a proclivity to just tell, you know, kids from a young age, like, oh, your dreams weren't real. Don't listen to them. And it's like, you know, I, I went through this whole path of researching like lucid dreaming and whatnot. And, and to me, it seems like it's something that your subconscious has a tendency to create. And, you know, you can learn lessons from it that you can then bring back into the material world to use and better yourself almost. But we've at some level just said it's easier to just tell people that it's not real. And so I find it so fascinating how we construct what is real. Like, what do we define as real? You know, like we could say this laptop's real, but isn't it just a bunch of atoms running around in space? So, you know, is it really a, a laptop or is it a bunch of atoms disguised to be a laptop? We're going, we're going deep today. <laughs> we do that on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, this is like one of the, the, the most, uh, you know, one of the most profound questions that anyone can ask is, is, uh, and it's, it's a fundamental question when we're exploring what is the nature of reality, right? Like, how do we, how do we know what's real and what's, what's not? I mean, what is, what is knowledge? I mean, can we, can we, can we, what, what, what can we truly prove beyond a, a, a shadow of a doubt? And it turns out there's not, not that much. I mean, uh, really like only the one, one of the only, uh, things that we can, uh, say for sure is that I am there, there is something here that is happening, right? This experience is undeniable. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's all a mystery, right. but there is something happening. And, and, and so like, I mean, that, that, that is kind of, um, you know, could be turned into, to a, a argument for the, the, uh, that, that consciousness is fundamental, you know, that, 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 uh, and, and some people say, uh, this is, um, you know, a, a sort of like philosophical or ontological worldview that that consciousness is is uh, not only fundamental, but it, it's it is the ultimate reality. Um, and yeah, I that is that is something that I, I do I do sort of um, uh, subscribe to myself. I would I would also love to point out I I'm a big fan of the fact that you said the only thing is that's real is I am because I know that there's a very common saying is. I think therefore I am. 
And I feel like that is, I don't know who said it. And so I'm not going to call anyone out, but I feel like that (laughs) is a huge blunder in our society is to describe that we are because we think and right. And and, yeah. And because if you are able to pull yourself kind of out of, you know, when you go into deep meditation, for instance, you start to realize that, um, you know, your thoughts create emotion, your emotions create thoughts, and it's this vicious cycle. Now, right. when you go into meditation, you you cut off all thinking and it's like, okay, well, I'm not thinking, but I still am. You know, it's not, it's not, I think, therefore I am. It's, I am, therefore I am, you know? And so mm-hmm. that's, um, so I just wanted to point out that I feel like it's a, that's a huge misstep and I don't know who the philosopher was and we don't have to harp on it, but I just felt like that's a huge I feel like that has probably been a huge, like maybe stranglehold on human consciousness in a way that we've been, we're like, Oh, we think therefore we're real and nothing else is real. It's like, you don't have to think to be real. It's like, you just, you are. So therefore you are. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, well said. And, and, uh, I, you know, I, I really think that that's, uh, the, the sort of the basis of, of awakening, you know, of, 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 of spiritual awakening, if you want to call it that, but like, even, even for even, I mean, it's undeniable, no matter who you are, that, uh, there is some aspect or quality that is, is to our, to what we are, to our daily lived experience, that's deeper than the, uh, cognitive, conscious, analytical, rational mind. Um, and, this is yeah this this is the the one of the most essential uh uh components of of awakening is recognizing that there is a voice there is this sort of inner narrator inner critic who's constantly chattering away but that is not true self that is not who i am right. on the deepest level it's 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 an experience within consciousness uh and and ex- you're exactly right that like um when there is no thinking, we can, we can go into the space between our thoughts and I am right still. Uh, uh, so I think, I mean, that, that's, that's what meditation is pointing to. And that's, that, that is the, uh, the, the, uh, universal all over the world, uh, regardless of social or cultural background, spiritual wisdom, any wisdom tradition from all over the world is all pointing to this, presence, awareness, introspection into the nature of, of self, going deeper than the mind and contacting or, or exploring the nature of, of true self, which inescapably leads us to the conclusion that uh, what I am on that deep, true level is, is beyond the, the thinking mind. And this is this is where liberation begins to unfold right. when we, when we find, when we recognize that, uh, when we, um, identify that, that, uh, true self is, is not defined by, by the mind. Right. It's, it's, I think the best description I have is it's like the silent observer might be Eckhart Tolle who coined that phrase, but it's like, you're this silent observer and once you are able to kind of parse away the fact that you're not your thoughts, you're not your feelings, it's like, okay, well, what's left? It's like, that's where like kind of the fun begins of, you know, what's going over domain of this and what's actually happening. 
And to tie this kind of back to the whole DMT thing, it's like when I was kind of asking, um, you know, are you able to kind of describe it? And you're like, well, it's kind of like a dream, you know, and it's hard to bring back everything. It's like the only thing that our brain is able to consciously comprehend are these human experiences. So everything that gets filtered through our consciousness is a human, you know, revelation. And this is kind of, you know, not to get biblical and whatnot, but I always kind of viewed the Bible. Well, not always, I take that back, but recently I viewed it like these stories that are trying to describe this higher state of being. And I believe most sacred texts are, that's what they're doing is it's not trying to say, okay, there's actually this God that had eight heads and five arms and, you know, eight kids. It's like, no, that's just a story that we're trying to use to explain this higher state of being. And we only have these words and our culture to try to describe this infinite realm of that is spaceless and timeless, which is even damn near impossible to comprehend just at that, at that form. And so we need to get stories to it to give it structure and meaning. Yeah, I think that's very true. And, and again, I, I, I very much, I very much agree with that. And, um, you know, I, I think I think that could be true for some of the uh, DMT experiences as well. Um, you know, and and I'll say as well, not not all of them are, are difficult to bring back. Um, I've I've had I've had experiences with this that are are uh, etched into my into my memory for forever. Yeah. Um, because they were so profound and and meaningful. But you know, I think I think that's 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 one level of of understanding. Uh, uh, non-ordinary states of consciousness, these psychedelic experiences, dreams as well, um, that, that it's, it's a, uh, symbolic experience or a metaphorical experience in some ways. That's not always literally true, but is a way, uh, that, um, is a, is a mode of communicating truth that is somehow comprehensible or relatable to the human brain the human mind so that like we're taking like the infinite mysteries of life that are way beyond comprehension um and uh uh relating to them or being presented with some sort of symbolic experience that then facilitates a shift in perspective or understanding that brings us closer to truth in a way right it like gets us a little bit closer to it, okay, it gets closer to the the realist of realities. Maybe as a way to look hmm. at it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Well, let's um, uh, we got, <laughs> that was fascinating. And so let's try to tie this back into what you do now, right? So you're, how did you find your way into helping people kind of get through, you know, psychedelic trips? Like, you know what what unfolded from graduating from uh associate with from college with a sociology degree that um you know because i don't because i don't think there's many places that advertise in america hey come to our uh foreign country to administer psychedelics <laughs> you know <laughs> no no i mean well i guess like there was a part of it that was kind of like organic and natural i mean as i continued to explore psychedelics in, in some cases with my friends and sort of informally, I, I was like a trip sitter, you know, and I enjoyed that role. I loved that work. It was always profound and meaningful. And, 
you know, in, in many cases, a lot of fun cool. too. Like it's, 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 it's incredible. It's, it's incredible. And, and, and it just bring, always brought me closer to, uh, the mystery. And, um, yeah, I mean, after, after college, you know, it was, it was a little bit of a, of a sort of like, there were plenty of twists and turns in the path. It wasn't a direct route. I, I ended up going to, uh, um, I traveled for a while, which was, you know, a hugely impactful experience for me. Um, and, uh, uh, when I, when I got back, um, from traveling to the, to the U S then I, 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 uh, applied to a master's of social work because that just seemed like the, you know, that was a struggle in and of itself to make that decision a huge struggle. But, uh, I did that because, yeah, again, it seemed like a step in the direction of working as a, as a, as a therapist, which then would be a step towards psychedelic assisted therapy, um, graduated, um, while I was, uh, approaching graduation, I, I basically had this, you know, moment of, uh, it was both a moment of inspiration as well as a moment of desperation. <laughs> I was like, I want so badly to do this thing. I know it's my passion. This is where my heart is. Like, this is what like sets me on fire, you know? And, uh, and so basically I just like, I, I, um, you know, just had the, had the intuition or the, the, the inspiration to, uh, look internationally. I was like, I know there are places where the, this is legally available uh, everything is legit. Everything is professional and above and above ground. Like this is an ancient thing. Um, and, and so I started looking and looking and, and basically just sent out my, my resume. Like I, I just emailed like literally every single person in place I could find and probably like 98% never answered me. But, uh, uh, the psilocybin retreat center where I work now, uh, was one of the few places that got back to me started there as, uh, uh, flew down to Jamaica the summer after graduating, um, uh, worked as an unpaid volunteer for a few retreats, and that led to a, a job there. So what exactly – you said you sent out your resume. What exactly does a resume look like to get you a job at a psilocybin retreat? Did you write in like, hey, I've messed around with uh, you know psilocybin before and DMT? Like how huh. – like what does that whole like line of questioning look like? No, I mean, of course, like it's, uh, it was a, it was a professional resume. I was documenting my, my professional experience and, and sort of highlighting my, my, my social work and, and therapeutic uh, experience. And uh, those, the, 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 uh, it is important, I think, for any psychedelic uh, uh, practitioner to have multiple frameworks of understanding the human psyche and uh, beyond that therapeutic interventions that are, are uh, uh, effective that are demonstrably like they, they work. Um, so it's, 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 it is important. I mean, like th this, uh, yeah, to answer your question, that's, that's what I sort of highlighted in, in, in my resume. Um, and, and, you know, like the, the psychedelic working in the psychedelic space is, uh, such a massive responsibility because, uh, when people are in these non-ordinary states of consciousness, um, a lot of times they're at their most, raw, they're most vulnerable, they're most emotionally sensitive, um, and as well as, uh, they're most digestible, honestly. I mean, like if, if someone is on a few grams of mushrooms, a single word that you say can 
take their entire trip in a certain direction, you know, like that's real. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, I think anyone who's working in this space, uh, professionally or even informally needs to be aware and feel the weight of that responsibility, uh, because, you know, it's not always that sensitive and delicate. Uh, most of the time it's not, but it can be, if you have, if you're working with a person with an intense history of trauma or severe depression, anxiety, like it can be that you have this person's, uh, wellness in your, in your hands in a big way. And so like, yeah, uh, you need to, we need to meet that responsibility with a degree of competence. And is there, so something I know, cause I've done some plant medicine therapies myself, but with your practice and the whole psilocybin thing is there a is there a level that you try to push them out of their comfort zone a little bit because i so i say this because like i know that like you're saying you can kind of go into a bad trip or have like very negative thoughts you know very quickly but is there like a level of needing to get them to a place to heal right because you know nothing nothing heals itself in the dark. You need to expose it to light, which can be very uncomfortable for people to do. So is there like a general rule of thumb that you kind of go by? Is it kind of like a feeling to get these people to a place where they are trusting you, but they are able to kind of break those barriers down for themselves? Um, it's a really good question. And, and it's kind of like, yes and no, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a delicate thing here. I mean, it's important that when you, when you first meet a, a client who you're working with, uh, to establish trust, to establish trust and rapport, um, where they can begin to trust you, uh, to know that you have good intentions and you can, uh, begin to re relate that, that there's a genuine connection on, on some level. And, uh, you know, as a, as a facilitator, I think it's important to communicate that this is a, a unconditionally supportive and non-judgmental role. Uh, as a facilitator, man, I can tell you I've seen some crazy sh go down. You know what I'm saying? Um, In like the psychiatric but, uh, realm or like people like having out about like people having mental breaks? No, I mean, I mean. No, not, not in terms of a mental break. I mean, like in terms of everyone responds to this experience, it's an intense experience and everyone responds differently. Sometimes people, you know, the entire emotional spectrum from uh, laughing hysterically to, you know, bawling with, with, with for hours, uh, these, these mystical type experiences that are extremely profound on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes people feel possessed or these kind of like demonic things. I mean, the, the, the spectrum is so broad and everyone, uh, sometimes it's very vocal. Sometimes it's, it's a loud and emotionally intense, uh, uh, thing on, on all degrees of, of, of the spectrum. Again, from like unbelievable euphoria to, uh, you know, like, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. Um, sometimes those really, really deep fears of one life or death, am I going to die or two, our sanity or mental wellness? Am I going insane? Have I lost my mind forever? Like those will come up in the psychedelic experience pretty repeatedly really? because it's so intense. Um, and yeah, so I mean, to, to go back to your previous question, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's really important to communicate that sort of that, that trust, that sense of unconditional support, that, that compassion. Um, and, 
to encourage vulnerability and openness um, that you want to encourage people to really express whatever is coming up. But I think it's important as well that it's not really a directive thing. Uh, in the experience, you know, the, this idea of a psychedelic guide, uh, it, the, the, the term is appropriate in some senses, but it's like when the person is in their experience, I'm not doing much guiding at all. They're guiding and it's a, it's a dance between the person and the substance. They're navigating this thing. I'm here holding this container of safe space. It is not my role and not my responsibility whatsoever to tell them, go here, explore this, do this. Uh, that's, that's a complete, I, I see that as in, in almost every case, a violation of it's an ethical thing, really. Um, but what, what I think is also important as a, as a psychedelic practitioner is to trust, um, you know, there's, there's this idea called uh, inner healing intelligence, which is an idea that was put forth by Stanislav Grof, who's like, you know, this really famous uh, LSD uh, psychedelic therapist. Um, uh, and the idea, I mean, it sounds kind of woo, but it's, it's really, it's really not. I mean, the idea is that like our, Physi physi physiologically speaking, it's like when you get a cut on your arm, our body knows how to heal it. As time passes, mm -hmm. the healing will occur. It's really only like when we mess with that, when we you know put our finger in the wound and rip off the scab, it takes longer to heal. But this idea of inner healing intelligence is that our psyche, the same exact thing is true for our psyche. Uh, some part of our psyche on a really deep, uh, you know, on a really deep level knows how to move towards wholeness and wellness uh, naturally out of our, the intelligent, the same intelligence that orchestrates the beating of our heart and all of the various physiological processes, trillions of them simultaneously. Uh, it's really exquisite and amazing, but uh, you know, like the, the, the same thing is true for the psyche. So like as people are going in to the psychedelic experience, uh, very, very repeatedly, very reliably, the key issues that this individual need or that are most pressing, that are closest to the surface, that need the most attention will come up. I don't have to do that right. as, a, as a facilitator. It's more about creating that safe space so that the individual is able to let go of uh, resistance and fear and anxiety because a lot of times those issues are terrifying to face. I mean, it, you know, talking about like healing uh, trauma, for example, sometimes that can conjure up incredibly, uh, you know, terrifying and powerful uh, emotions, memories, thoughts, feelings. Um, and, and, and it's only natural for the body to, for us to kind of resist that, but that's the equivalent, right. Of like picking at the scab and that that's what like that's when the healing process stagnates when we just push it all down right but this is really what this is really what the 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 psychedelic experience uh psychedelic therapy in particular the the context is so important at least as important as the substance itself um uh that that's it it, it brings up all of all of this material that's oftentimes repressed and suppressed, brings it up out of the unconscious mind into the light of awareness, as you said, and that's where the natural healing intelligence like accelerates and like the, these things can be resolved and released and processed. 
And it's really, really amazing to witness that, to be a part of that. I mean, it's, it's always an honor. So then in, in your kind of belief, how do you see that this healing almost occurs more because of the psychedelics as opposed to just naturally, because the way I'm seeing it, right. And I agree with you at a certain, I agree with you is that they're held kind of down in the subconscious as these traumas and that we need them to come up and to acknowledge them in order for us to do our own natural healing. Does, do you see like psychedelics as giving people more courage to face those issues or does it kind of force you to put them into the light? Is it the setting that kind of, you know, enables people to kind of get there? Like what, what kind of gets that healing going or accelerates it? <laughs> really good question. I think, you know, like there could be multiple books written on, on this topic. And I will say, uh, you know, a big part of it is kind of a mystery. Like I think in, in research, we're only just beginning to scratch the surface of this. I mean, there is a neurophysiological level to it, right? Like the shutting down of the default mode network that's been observed in a laboratory setting. So there is that sort of neurochemical part to it, but it's of course much deeper than that um, and more mysterious than that. There's sort of three key elements here. Well, uh, let me say, first of all, that it really is about like, bringing all this material out of the subconscious or unconscious mind into the light of, of, of awareness. And uh, that's a process that can, can happen. Of course, can and does happen through talk therapy alone, but it's, it's much more, it's much more challenging. And in a lot of cases, like people aren't aware it's unconscious. We're unconscious of the unconscious. We don't know what's there. It's, it's in the darkness. And most people, I think, are unaware of just how much material there is there and how emotionally charged it is and how profoundly that affects literally every single choice, every single waking moment of our life, our entire experience of life. Uh, the unconscious mind is so incredibly powerful and affecting everything. Um, so what psychedelics have the capacity to do, and a, a large part of it is this neurophysiological aspect where it's shutting off the default mode network of the brain. It's almost like this threshold between the conscious and the unconscious mind is lowered so that all of this material starts to bubble up naturally. Um, it's like very common to hear people say that, you know, oh man, I just like had this memory of when I was like seven years old and, and th this thing happened. I haven't thought about that in 40 years. You know, it's almost like it, 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 it bubbles up to the surface. And again, that that's absolutely, it's, it's possible to, to get there with talk therapy, but the therapy, I mean, it's much lengthier and you have to be a skilled, a highly skilled practitioner to do that because you have to navigate all these, per these persons, unconscious defenses, unconscious resistance, high levels of anxiety to even get to that core material, right? It all just kind of happens a lot of times. It all just kind of happens organically in the psychedelic process. But there's really three key or mediating factors to psychedelic healing. The first is cognitive insights. So we get all these new insights into our own psychological history. It's like we recover these memories. I've seen people recover uh, a trauma, a traumatic experience that they didn't even remember they had experience. It's called dissociative amnesia. Uh, when people experience trauma, a lot of times the brain will push it so far down, 
you don't even remember it. And yet that trauma is affecting our experience. of. The it's world. almost like your brain like, uh, dissociated from the body in that, in that time of trauma. And so then your, your mind like doesn't remember it. And when it tries to reintegrate, it's still in the body, but then your mind hasn't, doesn't conceptualize it. Is that a good way to describe so it? So true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a good way to describe it. it. Trauma is stored in the body. Psychological wounds are stored in the body. And again, you can get to that embodied somatic cellular level through talk therapy, but it is challenging, man. It's really hard. But yeah, so there's there's these cognitive insights, getting all these new in insights about our life, about the nature of reality, about relationships, career, purpose, all these different things. There's also... Uh, emotional release or catharsis as kind of like the second factor, which is as this material comes up, it's not just a thought or a memory. There's all these feelings that are sort of grafted onto it. And it's this powerful emotional release. And that's the level on which a lot of healing is happening. It's not just like, oh yeah, I remember that thing happened. It's like, now that I remember that thing happened, all of these emotions are pouring out and like that is catharsis, right? It's a, it's like opening up the pressure valve and letting out all of this pressure. And it just, it just brings so much more harmony and lightness to the system. It's like, you know, taking a load off of our, off, off of our shoulders. A lot of people will have these psychedelic experiences and say like, that felt like 10 years of therapy in five hours. And I feel so much lighter because it's this release, right? And the third, the third kind of mediating factor is, is the mystical experience. So like all, all of the research, you know, agrees that uh, people who have uh, a, a higher degree of a mystical experience or more kind of uh, spiritually profound or, or, or mystical experience, uh, also experience the most profound and enduring healing. So like these mystical experiences, another super interesting, fascinating topic that raises all kinds of questions about the nature of, of, of reality. But, uh, you know, there, there are these like peak spiritual mountaintop experiences, uh, that feel like, uh, communing a direct, uh, connection with, uh, the, with, uh, divinity with the sacredness of life uh oneness and interconnection are is really kind of like the core characteristic of mystical experiences there's this feeling that what i am the one who is aware is fundamentally uh, and profoundly interconnected to everything to all of life and it's we are part of a much greater reality and there's something incredibly healing about that a lot of depression and anxiety and mental illness come from feelings of disconnection, man. It really does. Like in, in, in this, in, you right. know, when in, you feel, in so many you feel ways, like you're alone or something like that, it usually takes over in those, in those areas. Disconnected from the world, disconnected from other people, disconnected from ourself, disconnected from oneness. Um, and in these experiences, it's almost like everything. A lot of people will say like, um, in spite of all of the horrible things that have happened in my life, in spite of all of the darkness in the world, all is well. Right. All is well. Everything is in its right place. Not only that, but I had to go through all of these experiences to get to where I am today. So it's like this pre profound like um, uh, reframing uh, 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 shift in perspective 
that brings a lot of peace. And so that's, so that's, yeah, that's so fascinating in itself, right? Because you, it sounds like you're dealing with such a wide range of emotions, right? From, from grief, shame, guilt, anger, all the way up to this, you know, the oneness, the feeling of enlightenment, the feeling of a mystical experience. And so I'm, um, I'm curious as to how you as a practitioner, maybe you could shed some light on like how frequently you're holding space for people. But I'm also curious as to like how you kind of can stay centered emotionally, because if, you know, you're seeing, you know, let's say you do one a day, that means that there's seven, seven times a week that you're, you know, experiencing, you know, very strong feelings of, of shame or of guilt or of depression or of these negative feelings. So is there a way that you kind of are able to keep yourself sane a little bit or emotionally, emotionally centered in order to kind of help these people as you transition them? Yeah. Uh, another, another really good question. Well, I mean, in, in, in terms of the frequency, so like I, I work at a retreat center, right? We hold, we hold retreats. They're week long retreats. Each retreat has three dosing sessions, uh, over the course of the week. And I do two of those retreats per month on average. Uh, on each retreat, there's about 10 guests usually on average. And, uh, uh, so it's, it's not, it's not every day. I mean, resting is, is a, is a big part of it. You know, self-care, the, this is man, kind of a cliche in, in the, the field of social work. Like I was, I was sick of hearing about self-care by the time I graduated, <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's real, it's important. Um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be said here. I think that in, in, in order to be a, uh, psychedelic facilitator or therapist, there needs to be. Uh, a high level of um, self-awareness, a high level of emotional intelligence, a high level of resilience. So, I mean, it's like not everyone can be an ambulance driver, right? It's mm -hmm. like you have to have a special set of – you have to be able to function and cope under intense pressure and anxiety right. in certain roles and occupations. The same is true for this. I mean, you need to have a, 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 a level of uh, emotional intelligence, knowing how to receive and process and handle difficult emotions within ourselves and be engaged in self in our own self-work, in our own process. I think that's one of the most fundamental things for any anyone who wants to be a psychedelic facilitator. Uh, you cannot show up in a good way if you have massive blind spots. We all have blind spots, but are you working to... Are you working to do your own kind of shadow work? You know, are you re are you aware of where your trigger points and your buttons are, and what what are, are some of your unresolved emotional material? We've all got it, uh, but but are you are are is are you working on it? And uh, along with that, do you have an aspect of emotional stability and resilience in your life? Because yeah, it's very true. I mean, these retreats are emotionally intense experiences. They really are, um, and I think. Medi meditation and mindfulness is, is a, is a big, is a big part of that. Um, you know, staying active and, and moving one's body, I think is a good way to move energy as well. Um, and, and maintain a healthy system, but you know, at the end of the day, like it's almost always a happy story, you know, which, which makes it, which makes the job way, way easier and more fun. I mean, like as a, as a sort of talk therapist, it's like, you can be working with the same client for years and like, 
get to this point where you are banging your head against the wall. And it's like, it just feels like it's stagnating. It's plateauing. Where's the progress with this? It's, 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 uh, I'm not saying that it's a hundred percent effective for everyone. Certainly not saying that whatsoever. I'm also not saying that everyone should go out and try psychedelics. I don't think that everyone is in a position in their life to benefit from this experience like today, right now. But, um, Almost always, I mean, you like at the beginning of the week, you're hearing people share these stories of, you know, often super intense trauma, like really heavy stuff. The worst things that you can imagine uh, happening to people in in their childhood, you're taking that on board. But, um, you know, also as that as the week unfolds and progresses, you see the healing happen. I mean, it's one of the coolest parts of the job. Like you can actually see the transformation taking place. You can see it in people's body language. You can see it in the way that people carry themselves, in the way in their fa- facial expressions, in the way that they communicate and express, um, and and make eye contact. It's like it's it's really really uh, powerful and 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 enriching. And like I think that that is. I mean, that's a big part of it as well for me too. Is just like I have such a profound trust and faith in in this medicine and really in life in life itself. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I don't think that I don't, I, I, this, this is something that, uh, you know, some people, it comes more naturally to some than to others. Some people have to really work to cultivate that emotional stability and resilience. Um, and I'll, I'll say as well, like that's especially true in the trip space because, you know, you're seeing these like pretty intense emotional outpourings sometimes, Sometimes people are enraged, like they have all this rage and anger that, you know, like their their father was a terrible person and was abusive, just as a hypothetical example. And I, I've seen this happen. Someone spending the entire trip raging and yelling obscenities and cursing their cursing their, their father loudly. OK, so like you have to be able to be in that in that like emotional intensity. And for the most part, it's more on the opposite side of the spectrum where it's like uh, joy, more more joy and, and lighter emotions coming through. But it's the whole spectrum. And mm-hmm. uh, as of as a facilitator, it's really important that we've cultivated the ability to remain grounded and present and centered in the face of that, because if we're wearing on our face an expression of like concern or fear, like what the is going on or like really getting a- a- anxious, uh, then the, then because, I mean, people in, in the trip space are, you pick it's up, like they're hyper yeah, aware, they're hyper sensitive. They're that. gonna, they're going, they're going to pick that up and that just makes the whole situation even worse. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question and, um, it's, 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 it's an important part of being a facilitator. Big part of the job is just to smile. Yeah. Is that like the biggest tip that you would give to someone who wanted to be a, uh, a psychedelic therapist? <laughs> Just smile. <laughs> no, that's not, I wouldn't say that's the biggest, I, I wouldn't say that's the biggest, biggest tip. I mean, there, there's, there, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot that goes into it, but, um, you know, that is a big part of it for sure. So I, I think, uh, also an important thing that you kind of pointed out and there was, uh, the disclaimer of, you know, this isn't for everyone. Don't just think that this is like a end all be all, like, don't just sign up for it just because like your friend thought about it or something. Um, I, and I guess I kind of view this into the idea of people say that like the plants call to them, uh, is, 
is that some is that a phrase i guess that you're familiar with like the plants call to you like i guess i've experienced it where it's like okay like something resonated in your life where it was like okay this oh, got some camera issues there where it's like this needed to happen or like something with like psilocybin said yes i need to go do this or i need to go to this place like is that a, a saying the plant it's kind of called you is that saying that you're familiar with or have you how would you kind of describe it maybe to somebody who's considering it but not sure sure yeah i mean that is absolutely a a, a phrase that that i've heard and and i guess that i've i've used as well i mean it definitely felt that way when i first uh discovered dmt it was like man i can't even tell you like this magnetic uh like draw like like I have to explore this thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, I'll, 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 I'll say this. Um, there are certain conditions which almost necessarily exclude uh, a, a certain, certain people from exploring psychedelics in the first okay. place. Anyone who has any kind of like psychotic like features, psychosis, schizophrenia, even if it's in the family history, uh, I do not advise them to explore psychedelics, uh, because it can, uh, uh, it can, uh, precipitate a, an, a psychotic episode basically that, uh, lasts beyond the effects of the, the substance itself. The same is true for bipolar, uh, people who have bipolar, um, the psychedelic experience can, uh, set off a manic episode that again, lasts beyond the, uh, duration of the substance itself. So, you know, I never want to play gatekeeper. I never want to say like you should and you shouldn't. That's not my job. But uh, sure. uh, I, I, I want I want everyone who is is genuinely interested in this to have the opportunity if they if they pursue it in a safe and responsible way um, that that maximizes safety both for themselves and for others. But um, you know, th those are important con considerations. Um, you know, yeah, I. This idea of like being called called to the experience, I, I think that uh, it t it touches on this, you know, kind of the topic of of intuition. It's like we've we, I do believe, and and this is the more mystical side of me me speaking rather than like the scientific, but uh, I do I do believe that there we we each have this sort of inner guidance system, you know, and For sure. um, uh, uh emotions are a big part of it. Like, you know, this, this kind of like spiritual cliche, like follow your bliss. It's, you know, it's pretty cliche, but there is truth to it. It's like, uh, when we, our emotions of, of joy, happiness, positivity, um, uh, uh, wellness and excitement and, uh, curiosity, intrigue, it's like the compass needle pointing to true North, you know? And it's like, that's when, it, 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 and, and intuition is obviously a big part of that as well. It's like a lot of people make decisions just with their kind of rational mind. It's important to weigh out the pros and cons, of course. But I think like there's a deeper level to decision making that's uh, takes into account that that the emotional component and also the intuitive component. Um, and the emotions and the intuition are kind of like this, this, this compass needle that, that are, are guiding us forward. And it's almost like something greater is the, the invisible hands of life are like 
you got to do this now, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and, uh, I think a lot of times that is the case with, with, uh, with psychedelics, but honestly, I'll say as well, like a lot of people arrive to this retreat center saying, I hear this all the time. It's like, I've been in therapy for 30 years. I've tried every single SSRI, uh, antidepressant, benzodiazepine, nothing has worked. And at this point, I don't know what else to do. And, uh, it's a place of desperation and uh, you know, it, that that's, that's a, a really, really challenging, challenging place to be in. I mean, a person who arrives to the experience who has active suicidal ideation. Right. Um, and, and, but you know, in, in some cases um, and this, this is one of the beauties of, of, of psychedelics. It is a glimmer of hope that for someone who's tried literally every single possibility and they're at the end of the line, man, they're like, I, have nowhere else to turn. This is my last chance if this, you know, and, 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 uh, again, it's not a hundred percent efficacy, but it's damn near close. And it's, 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 it, it moves the needle. And in a way that, uh, most, I mean, other psychiatric medications can't even come close to, you know, do you, so. do you think that's a good place for people to come into the realm of, um, of psychedelics in where it's like, you know, almost this abandoning, I guess maybe not an abandoning of hope. They, they still have hope, but it's like, you know, I've tried everything. I, this is my last chance for hope, you know, is, do you see like that being helpful for people that are trying to find, you know, that, that salvation they're looking for, or do you see the people who are like, Oh, I'll try this or, Oh, I've heard that this works for people kind of thing. Like it, it, it kind of strikes me as odd to, and I guess odd just because I haven't seen it this way, but as like a, the end of the road, like this is my last chance for something to work. I guess it almost feels to me as if they're almost putting too much pressure on the psychedelic to be this saving grace. Does that kind of make sense? No, that's true. I, I, I would agree with that. And, and I, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't say that, um, I don't think it's necessarily a good or he healthy or positive thing to see it as some sort of kind of, you know, silver bullet that's going to that's going to fix all our problems because it, it it's not necessarily. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's really hard to make like blanket statements with with this experience because every case is so unique and everyone is so different that, uh, um, you know, hopefully that's not the uh, frame of, of mind or, or the place that the individual is in. Uh, when they come to the, the psychedelic experience, but it, if so, then, then, then so be it. And I'm glad that at least they, they, they are able to maintain that, that, uh, a, a aspect of hope because that's where life becomes really, really dark, man, is when we have no hope right. and, 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 um, you know, if, 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 uh, psychedelics in a, in a safe and supportive environment provide that ray of hope, then, I mean, come on, like, what are, what are we, what are we waiting for? Yeah. It's almost like, and it's so, I find it so fascinating. Like everything that you're even saying and that we have all these like psilocybin retreats of sorts and these monumental case and anecdotal studies that point to the fact that there is therapeutic nature for it. It, it kind of still boggles my mind that it's still even something that's in question of, you know, being a schedule one drug when it's like, okay, what do you mean it has absolutely no 
um, signs of therapeutic nature. It's like, it's honestly one of the best teachers. It's one of the best therapists that I've personally ever, you know, utilized. And, you know, I've seen other people, it's like, you know, you go through this profound experience in five or six hours and it feels like five or six years of, of, of psychiatrist training on, on at some level where it's like, how in the world did, you know, and it comes back to the whole, like going within and it's like, you're your own best teacher and like letting these things kind of come up and you're the best healer you have. And it's maybe at some level of that, we have separated the, the human from that experience or making you think that you'll find this salvation outside of you and the drugs and the psilocybin and psychedelics. They're like, no, 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 no. You're, you're learning this the wrong way. It's all within you. It's like all the healing that you need, all the power that you need is within you. And the psilocybin is just like the guy, your doorman opening the door to say, look here, here it is. Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah. Com completely agree with that. And, and, you know, I think it, I think it is a shame that there's not more well, it's changing really rapidly. I think the 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 recognition of of the legitimate and and revolutionary therapeutic uh, efficacy of of various psychedelic substances when used appropriately in a in a safe uh, in a safe and professional context um, uh, is a game changer. Is a game changer. Uh, a quantum leap. A quantum leap from uh, uh, psychiatric other psychiatric medicines, which really only address symptoms, right? Like you take an antidepressant at no point, is it going to the root cause of why you're depressed in the first place? So you're taking these things every single day for months, years at a time. Uh, of course, there's all these like adverse side effects um, versus taking two or maybe three doses of a natural organic substance that grows from the earth that can go to the root cause and create lasting change. So that's what I mean by a quantum leap. It's it's a it's a whole other realm. And a lot of the you know the, the studies out of Johns Hopkins, just as an example, with the psilocybin in, in, in treatment of of depression. Um, the, you know, this is the single most effective uh, psychiatric intervention that has ever been documented. In, in the treatment of, of depression and addiction and, and various mental health conditions ever right. compared to any other, you know, it's so wild. Uh, but it, 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 again, it's, it's not just, I want to be clear too. It's not just the uh, plant medicine itself. It's that plus therapy. The combination of the two is, is where the magic happens. And that's a, that's probably a good thing to point out, right? Because you can use it for recreational use, but you know, the power of the setting that you're in, right. It's, it's about set and setting. Whenever you come to psychedelics, it's like, you know, what's your purpose and where are you doing it? Because if you're just doing it for fun, I mean, sure you can have fun with it, but that's also where you see that people can have these bad trips and they go into these negative places and it's hard for them to kind of sometimes not always get out. And it's, I, I think yeah. that there's certainly something to be said for the setting that you are experimenting with these drugs has such an impact on the way that you perceive them and the way you integrate them. And maybe that's something also is like, do you guys have like a, do you guys discuss integration after you kind of go through this whole mystical experience? And then there's a way that you need to break down what you experienced 
to like work it into your present reality. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's a big part of what we do. I mean, before, before and after every psychedelic session, we, we meet as a group and we have, um, yeah, we have a, a, uh, licensed therapist on every retreat. We have a registered nurse on every, every retreat and, uh, you know, an extremely experienced team. And, um, it's, yeah, I mean, this is a big, a huge part of, of the work that we do is these group discussions, uh, before and after each, each, each dosing session. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's so cool. Do you feel like this is something you're going to do for a while then is, uh, continue to work on with psychedelics? Yeah. In, in one capacity or, or another, this is my life's work, yeah. man. This is, this is, this is till death yeah. pretty much. That's awesome, man. Good for you. That's hard for people to find. Yeah. 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 Do, do yeah. you see it as like, as, as mostly just helping people or is it just kind of like, all right, right now I'm just helping people, but in the future, maybe something else, I'm just going to follow where life takes me. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's multi-layered. I mean, I, I, I guess there's, um, you know, here, here's the, here's the big picture is that, uh, the world needs healing and the world needs awakening. Uh, you know, I, I recently heard someone say that like humanity right now is in a race between consciousness or catastrophe. Either we evolve or we will self-destruct. Like that's not being pessimistic. That is a fact. And, uh, we can continue to play politics. We can do all that, you know, we can, you know, do whatever kind of social, whatever, right. uh, ag agendas and programs in the outer world. But, uh, we're until we evolve inwardly, until we open our minds and open our hearts and uh, reconnect with uh, oneness, reconnect with, uh, you know, what I would say is, is the sacred or, or, or uh, the spiritual um, uh, uh, and, and uh, evolve, awaken you know, this is uh, some of what uh, Eckhart Tolle talks about in his in his book, uh, A New Earth. And, you know, many spiritual teachers have been talking about this for for a long time. Even the ancients going back to the ancient Mayans, the ancient Egyptians, they prophesied of this time. They said that uh, the world would descend into darkness, but there would come the dawn of a new era where we remember we forget and then we remember. And uh, humanity is now at this inflection point. We're at such a crazy, interesting, wild, beautiful, bizarre, terrifying time to be alive uh, as a collective species where we are on the verge. We are on the precipice and we need evolution. We need healing, period. And uh, so that's big picture. I mean, that's what that's that's big picture. What, what drives me is like just playing my little part because it it begins within each one of us, right? Like this, this collective awakening of humanity begins within each one of us. Like world peace begins within each one of us, just like how all the conflict and all the wars also begin as inner conflict within people. And so working to uh, uh, help people find healing, find awakening uh, is, is probably the most meaningful thing that I, I've, I've found to do. It's a big, it's a big part of why I make YouTube videos as well. Cause like, 
if like these ideas and the, the, this this information and the, these like teachings can touch even a few lives, like that's 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 pretty awesome. And yeah, I mean, so that that's that's like big picture. But it, there's also that that inner experience of you know, again, my, my curiosity and passion and excitement is is what really is is a big part of what drives me as well. And it's like this is one of those things where it's like the more you know, the less you know. There's the the horizons of the psychedelic experience. The horizons of consciousness itself are ever expanding. It's There's like the always new frontier. More. It's like the new frontier of our generation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, people call space the final frontier, like Star Trek and and whatnot. Right. But really, like um, that's only in the material the material paradigm. Right. Uh, uh, cons- consciousness for me is is really the the ultimate frontier. I mean, I'm right there with you. And honestly, I feel like this is a great spot to wrap this up because that's such a beautiful message in my opinion to kind of end this on because I'm right there with you. I feel like that's a huge motivator I have even with this podcast is to get this information out exactly what you're talking about out there to, you know, even if it's just my friend group, you know, my, you know, hundred people circle, whatever it is, you know, just to get that conversation started and it's just going to have that yep. ripple effect across humanity, across mankind to get us into, you know, that if you're in the mythology, that age of Aquarius, where, you know, we have that knowledge, we're able to fully understand what we're going through. Um, and so to close it out, I would love to, I'm going to, I'm going to grab your links from you and throw them down in the description below. So, you know, it, cool. it, but other than that, is there anything you want to, you know, final remarks, any words of encouragement? disclaimers, anything like that you would love to share with the audience before you get, we get out of here. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's been, it's been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much again for, for having me on, on, on your podcast. Really, really enjoyed, really enjoyed connecting with you. I think we see alike in a, in a lot of ways and, and I appreciate the work that you're doing as well to just start the conversation. That's what it's all about. I mean, I would say that, you know, if there's anyone listening who, uh, wants to connect with me, you're, you're, you can find me. Uh, my YouTube channel is is Cosmic Consciousness with Jonas. We've also got a website called innervisionpsychedelics.com uh, where you can reach out and, and schedule a, a, a free a free session, a free meeting with me. So, um, yeah, thank, thanks thanks again, Clayton. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. And I know we'll be in touch and have you on for hopefully another episode. Uh, Would love to. Hell yeah, yeah man. The, well, th- th- maybe maybe then we can finally dive into the whole UFO, uh, yeah. <laughs> <the> whole, <laughs> all that stuff. Because that's just another that's just another fascinating and interesting wild card well, going on. It's here. fascinating too. You bring that up because there have been multiple people I've had on this podcast that love talking about it, but the conversation just like hasn't gotten there yet. So I have like hmm. some sort of belief that. I don't know if the podcast isn't ready for the UFO conversation. I don't, I don't know what, <laughs> yeah. maybe, you know, the whole world's got their own thing going on. I don't know, but something yeah. about me saying that, like, it's just the podcast isn't ready for it. So hey, we'll, we'll get there we'll in get due there. time, right? Divine timing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, well, again, Jonas, thank you so much guys. Go check out his stuff. He's got amazing videos on YouTube about consciousness, about the afterlife. If you like any of my content, I know you're going to like his. Uh, with that being said, thank you for making it to this point. I would greatly appreciate it if you subscribed, liked, commented, all that fun stuff on whatever platform you're looking on. Um, and But even more important than that, like Jonas and I have discussed, 
is share this, share this with, you know, anyone you've had an inkling of a, of a similar conversation with, because, you know, like we said, we're in the age of Aquarius. This is the age where we remember the age with, with more knowledge and, you know, beautiful, beautiful things are coming as dark as this whole era has seemed with, you know, wars and COVID it's only getting that much better. So with that being said, I appreciate you conscious monkeys for listening and let's grow together.